2019, and I just did an SBS uh, in Montana for nine months. Now, next slide. The program, what is an SBS? It's a school of biblical studies. It's a nine-month Bible school where you learn the inductive method. And the inductive method is where you start with something small. So you start in with what the text says, and you let that shape your theology. You let that shape your beliefs instead of starting out and going in for proof text. And so the inductive method starts in and goes out. It's kind of a helpful little thing that you can take wherever you go. <laughs> so in the SBS, we go through all 66 books of the Bible, which is around 1,200 chapters, over 31,000 verses, and around 2,000 hours of studying God's Word that every single student puts in. And so really, really intensive program, really intensive, but so good. And there were so many big takeaways that I could share, but some of the biggest have been the structure of a book matters. And we'll look at a couple of these examples. Uh, God's heart in the Old Testament, as well as Old Testament application through structure and author's logic. And we'll look at the book of Judges uh, really quickly. So the next slide, the structure of Leviticus is it's a central point uh, of the book is the Day of Atonement. So if you look at the next slide, should be, okay, so it's a, it's a chiasm, which it basically bookends, it goes A to A, so you see laws and laws at the first and the beginning of the, of the book. Then you see laws for priests, and then laws for priests, uh, rituals and rituals, and it all centers on chapter 16, which is the Day of Atonement. And the crazy thing about the Day of Atonement is that, and this is kind of where you see God's heart in the Old Testament, is that God actually offers a way for the people to come to him, to have relationship with him. And he is the one who initiates giving the law. Because we look at the law of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and, we're, and we say, why would God give the people a law that doesn't seem very loving that doesn't seem very good but if you think about the ancient ancient Israel's mindset and the people of that time they had no idea they had no idea of how to please the gods they were fickle they didn't have any idea what they wanted and so they would even offer up sons their firstborn sons their future their most valuable thing in hopes that maybe it would please the gods but Yahweh the God of the Bible, he gives them an opportunity to come close, a proper way to worship. This is how to worship me properly. This is how to receive the blessings of being my people. So it's actually the law of Leviticus and Deuteronomy is actually such a huge, huge uh, evidence of God's love and his mercy towards his people. And so we can, we can see that if you look at the New Testament fulfillment, the day of atonement is fulfilled in Jesus. You look at Hebrews, and Jesus is the high priest. Jesus is the sacrifice. He is the blood that is sprinkled on the altar. He is the scapegoat. He is the fulfillment of the day of atonement. And that is how we, we can step into that, and we can be forgiven. We can be cleansed in God's sight because of Jesus. And so the structure of Leviticus is so crazy because even back then, God was pointing to Jesus. And so uh, we, then we can look at Old Testament application through author's logic, through the book of Judges. And so Judges is written as an anti-Saul, pro-David narrative at a time when the two dynasties were kind of, uh, they were in a bit of a power struggle. You can look at this in 2 Samuel 1 through, uh, chapters 1 through 4. And basically the main idea is that people need a covenant-keeping king that will trust God and not one like Saul. If you read 1 Samuel 13, 8 through 15, and the whole chapter of 15 um, of 1 Samuel, you'll see that Saul messes up and he doesn't 
trust God. He doesn't point the people to Yahweh. And so the, without a God-fearing king, the people, and this is what Judges is all about, people spiral into rebellion and chaos. It's just bad after bad after bad. It's sick. It, it goes in cycles. And so the point of Judges is they need a covenant-keeping king like David because Saul is only going to lead them to spiral out of control. And so how do we, what do we take from that? What do we take from the Old Testament logic of the book of Judges how can we apply that today? We need a covenant-keeping king. We need a leader that fear that, that will point us back to God. And that we need Jesus. He is the covenant-keeping king. And so everything in the Old Testament, you can see God's heart, and you can see his passion and his love for his people, and you, you can take those timeless truths, and you can see how it applies to our lives. And so moving on to what I see as the problem with the issue, the, one of the main cores of, of, of problem in, in, in my generations is only about 17% of Christians my age, 18 to 29, read the Bible even one time a week. And when I was in Circuit Riders, which is another program I did in, in YWAM, it was even less than that. They asked how many people have read the entire Bible start to finish. And out of 150 people, only about 20 of us raised our hands, which is 13%. And so my generation and the ones that come are extremely biblically illiterate and are becoming even more unchurched. And so my passion is to see the Bible seen as important and valuable and applicable to our lives in, again, in the minds of my generation. And so, and then with the with people, to, for them to discover more of a relationship with God through his word. Because even looking at Book of Judges, we see his heart so clearly. With discipleship, to walk alongside people as they pursue Jesus and to help them as they encounter difficulties in that walk. With worship, to see Holy Spirit joined with biblical truth because they're not separate. They can't be separate. You can't make this distinction of we follow Holy Spirit or we listen to the Holy Spirit and no, we follow what the Bible says. It needs to be joined together. It needs to be a both and. And then finally, missions. We don't just keep what we've learned. We take what we've been equipped with and we go. We need to go. But we need to go as, equipped, the, as best equipped as we can. And so the petition is, I'm going as a, uh, to, uh, to a y, to the, back to the YWAM base as SBS staff for two years. And as such, I it will be a full-time missionary with them. And I need to raise monthly support. This will cover things like rent, food, healthcare necessities, missions trips, opportunities to teach at other uh, uh, SBS program bases in YOM. And so I, would, like, I ask you, would you join with me in prayer and financial support in my desire to see this generation and the ones to come changed by Jesus through studying his word? Would you join with me to see people's perspectives changed like mine was in seeing God's plan of redemption throughout the entirety of the Bible and how it applies to us today, to live lives set apart to God. And so currently, I'm at $625 a month. I'm looking to raise uh, about $1,570 per month, so I need a little bit over $900 per month more in support. And so the point of all of this is the Bible needs to be read and understood by all believers. And believers need to become disciples of Jesus and a relationship with Jesus and not just converts and ultimately 
Jesus needs to be made known to all peoples and all nations and all tongues. And I believe that the Bible connects all of these together. And this program connects and brings them all all to the forefront and all to uh, such importance in, in my mind and the students' minds. So, I would, would you prayerfully consider partnering with me in this mission of joining with others in pursuit of a relationship with Jesus and his word so that he is known by all nations. Thank you so much for listening. Appreciate this time. And I'll be in the back. Isaac, thank you for leading today. We love love to have you back home whenever you can be here. It's such a delight to see you and a delight to be able to partner with you. Well, today I'd like you to uh, take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. I have the key text up here. And uh, like before, I left for a couple of weeks and came back with Pastor Mike Cassell preaching, sending him off uh, and Christy to their new assignment. Um, this has been on my heart and burning in me. And it's that we have a ministry. We have a ministry. And it is spoken of in First Corinthians or Second Corinthians chapter four. And verse one says, Therefore, Paul says, since we have this ministry, and that's the key words there, we have this ministry. That's always struck me every time I go through and read that, that we have this ministry. He doesn't say you have a ministry if you're credentialed with the assemblies of God or ordained with any movement or if you're a priest or if you've gone to seminary or if you have all your theology together. He simply says, if you have been born again, washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God is in you, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, you have a ministry. And I think that's an awesome thing because God is all-inclusive in this, in his word. And he says, we have this ministry as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. Well, we do not lose heart because the Spirit of God encourages us, the Word of God encourages us and challenges us to keep going no matter what obstacles that we find in our way. And uh, Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the next chapter, verses 19 through 21, and he talks about a ministry of reconciliation. And reconciliation for God, he says, in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us, say he gave us. Don't you like to get a gift? I mean, you guys gave us, Don and I, a gift last week. And we, we appreciate that. We weren't looking for a gift, but we were, how many know surprise gifts are even funner than gifts you think you're going to get, Right. That was a surprise to us, and that was a blessing to us. Well, God surprises us with a gift. He gave us a gift for Christ. He, he, in the world, we're giving, and he gave us this wonderful, say wonderful. It's not just a message, but it's a wonderful message. It's a wonderful message of what? Reconciliation. Now, we know what reconciliation means. You know, the definition hasn't changed through the centuries, but the reconciliation means that one who is far off is brought near. And he brought us near who were afar off by the blood of his cross. Amen. Brought us near who were aliens and strangers separated from the covenants and the promises of God. He brought us near by the blood of Jesus. I don't know about you, but I was far, far away from God. And he found me and he brought me near. And he filled me with his Holy Spirit after washing me with the blood of Christ. And he called me into a vocational ministry. But before I was called to a vocational ministry, I was called to serve in ministry. 
God has called us to serve. We need to find our place to serve, and we have a wonderful message of reconciliation to share with those who are far from God as well, just as we were. Uh, freely you have received, freely give. You freely receive God's mercy, freely give it, and offer it to others who are lost and dying without Christ. Verse number 20, he goes on to say, so we are, say we are, we are Christ's ambassadors. God making his appeal through us, we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. I tell you, my sister, when I was backslid, I was far from God. I was 18 years old and going in all the wrong direction and my way to hell. And my sister was an ambassador for Christ. She spoke to me and said, God still loves you. God hasn't forgotten you. God will chase you until he catches you. Until the day you die, God will chase you. And that was a very troubling and irritating thing she told me. Because I didn't want to be chased. You know, I wanted to do what I wanted to do. But I felt a conviction in my spirit because an ambassador for Christ spoke the very words that God was speaking to me, but I was too deaf to hear them from God. So he sent my sister and said, I'm going to get you. I'm coming after you. I haven't forgotten you. I still love you. You've gone a long ways away, but I'm chasing after you. And aren't you glad that God chased us until we found him? Amen. And he says, come back to God. Verse 21, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that, say so that. Why did he do it? So that we could be made right with God through Christ. And that is the wonderful message that we have to share with others. We have a message to share. We have a great commission to obey, to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them uh, in, the, uh, in water, but teaching them all things that Christ has taught them. This is our responsibility. But it's not just a responsibility. It is a joy and a delight. It's not a, a duty or a drudgery, but it's our delight to do so. There's nothing more thrilling than talking to someone about Jesus and watching the Holy Spirit move on them. You can see it the Holy Spirit moving on their countenance as he's inside working and convicting, and you can see the expressions on the countenance and the eyes and see the Holy Spirit bringing them to a place of encounter with Christ and the blood of the cross and his sacrifice. Now, according to Paul's words here, we are heavenly delegates. <clears throat> we are ambassadors for Christ who have been sent forth as heaven's representative to the planet. We know what ambassadors are. They're those diplomats who are sent uh, in varying de degrees or uh, positions of authority to a foreign country to represent the United States to them. And when that ambassador goes in at the instruction of the president or the State Department, he speaks the very words as if he were the president. Isn't that awesome? And as ambassadors for Christ, we are the voice of heaven. As his ambassadors, we are authorized to speak on behalf of the Lord. And as heaven's ambassadors, we are, because God has done this, fully backed, fully funded, fully defended, and fully assisted. We have been invested, Rick Warren says, uh, Rick Renner says, we have been invested with royal powers, including the authority of his blood, and we may call upon heaven to assist us at any given moment. All angelic powers and all the vast resources stored in the treasury of heaven are available for our use when we are re representing heaven to this world. 
You know, he doesn't send us out empty-handed or ill-equipped, but he sends us out fully equipped and fully armed to represent him to a lost and dying world. And each of us has a ministry or ministries that will serve to bring people far from God to God in order to know him personally through conversion of the soul, being translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his son, just as he did for us. Aren't you glad God doesn't run out of grace and mercy? Aren't you glad that the blood of Jesus Christ is so powerful that it never ceases to lose the power to cleanse and wash away the sins of of a person who repents? You know, we have various ministries in the local church here at Calvary. We have Rock House Youth uh, Student Ministries, Jailhouse Ministry, Kids Ministry, Royal Rangers or Impact Clubs for Girls, Women's Ministry, Men's Ministry, Counseling Ministries, Moms Ministries, Bible Quiz Ministry. We all have a place or an opportunity to serve in any one or all those that God calls us to. Amen? Amen. Each of us has a ministry that we can serve in. And in this ministry that we are called to, we must not fail. We must not falter. We must not quit. Though sometimes, in challenging seasons, we might think of quitting. There are many times that we may feel like we are underappreciated by those that we are serving or seen by the leadership or not getting the credit we think we deserve from the leadership. But we do not work for them. We do not work for them. We work for Christ and for his glory and for the expansion of his kingdom. That's really what it's all about. Our reward here on earth may not come to those who deserve it the most. But in heaven, there's going to be a great reunion with loved ones who've gone before us, a great encounter face-to-face with our Lord Jesus Christ, and we are going to receive a blessing and reward for faithfulness done here on earth. Somebody say amen. I'm looking forward to it. I, I enjoyed so much, but I tell God when, when this church is so kind and generous to us, God, you know, I hope, you know, make sure that I still have some reward up there too. You know, I, I don't want it all here. Somebody say amen. Uh, we want to be rewarded there. So, you know, what does the Word of God say in uh, Psalms 115, verse 1? The psalmist says this about God, about everything. It's not to us, O oh Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Because of your love and faithfulness, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Because of your love and faithfulness, not to us, O oh Jehovah, not to us, but unto thy name give glory for thy loving kindness and for thy truth's sake. So it's not about us. It's about him. It's not about our uh, predicament. It's about the affairs of heaven. As we are ambassadors for him, we work for him and for the expansion and for the betterment and for the expansion of the kingdom of God in this world, in this season of time that we are living. We know that the word of God tells us that the work while it's still light because the darkness comes and no man will work. And so we need to take every opportunity to serve God in full capacity the way that God has called us. God doesn't call us to be spectators in the kingdom of God. He calls us to be participants and players on the field, making a difference for the eternity and the life of others. He goes on to say, not to us, but for thy true sake. And, and 2 Corinthians 5.11 says this, but we understand. Now, notice Paul says, we understand. In the eternal word of God, written to the people of God for all generations, Word of God does not pass away, not in one tittle or one jot, the King James said, will pass away from his word till it all be fulfilled. And he says here very clearly that we understand. What do we understand? 
Paul said, we understand, him and his compatriots, his fellow missionaries, his fellow apostles, uh, but the believers in this generation must understand as well, as the Holy Spirit makes us aware of that and burns it into our heart, that we have a fearful responsibility to the Lord. Notice he says fearful responsibility. It's a fearful thing, a terrible thing, the word says, to, to, for a sinner in the hands of an angry God. But listen to me, we are not sinners in, uh, that are going to face a terrible white throne judgment described in Revelation towards the end of the book, but we are those who will stand before what Paul is talking about, the great judgment seat of Christ, the beam of judgment. And he says, because we understand the fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard. Say we work hard. You know, ministry is hard work. You know, it's not easy. I remember one old gentleman, and he spoke about his, uh, his children, uh, his uh, daughter and son-in-law, and the church they were working in, and they work and work and work and work and toil and toil and toil for many years. And I remember him looking at me with a very serious face and almost tears and just passion, a choke in his voice, and he said, they work so hard. They work so hard. And, and I know that God notices when we work hard for the Lord. When we give, sacrificially even, when we give, God notices. Nothing goes unnoticed by our Heavenly Father. We have a God who notices all things. He knows the deep secrets of our heart, and He chooses to love us anyway. This is the wonderful thing about God, the message that we have of reconciliation and the ministry that we've been called to, that we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord. You know, something else Paul notices, he said that, understood that without the message of hope that is preached to a lost and dying world, there's no hope for that person. They go into a Christless eternity, forever burning in an eternal torment in hell. And we, as the church of Jesus Christ, have a fearful responsibility to tell them the good news that they can escape that judgment because Christ himself, God's own son, paid the full penalty of our sin on the cross. He finished the plan of salvation and reconciliation for those who are lost and dying. I don't know about you, but that makes me really happy that he did it for me. So in uh, all that there, we cannot quit this ministry. It's a ministry that is ongoing. And what other ministry we have? We have a ministry. I got three points. We have, a, we have this ministry. It's ours. We own it. It's been given to us by God as a gift. A call of God is a gift. Again, it's a, it's a gift that keeps on giving, but it's also a gift that keeps taking. I, I know my uh, uh, daughter and son-in-law in North Dakota, their mother-in-law, a recent widow, she, uh, her cousin was selling a big... Um, well, big, not a huge one, but a good size uh, a fifth wheel camper and a boat. They were selling it, getting rid of it, and they had taken it very old, but they took really good care of it. It's in real good shape. And she asked him, would you like that? I'll buy it for you. Wouldn't you like to have a mother-in-law like that? <laughs> and anyway, uh, you know, some, and, and they said, well, sure. And so she gave him that gift. But, you know, because it was old right after they got it, you know, they were saying, you know, but we've had to spend money on it because some things, you know, because they're old weren't working. Oh, and while we were camping the first time at family camp in North Dakota, the microwave went out. So we have to buy another microwave. And so fortunately, microwaves aren't that expensive anymore and they can pick whatever they want. But, you know, sometimes we get a gift and it costs us, doesn't it? That we have to maintain what we've given. We have to, can I put it this way? We have to be good stewards 
of the gift that we have, and we as believers have to be good stewards of the call of God to ministry, stewarding it. And one day we will stand accountable before the Lord for that. You know, Paul said again, therefore, since we have this ministry, as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. But having, verse 2 Corinthians 4.13 says, but having the same spirit of faith according to what is written, listen to this, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak. What is he saying? He's saying that you believed, now you have a message to share with others. It doesn't say you believed or I believed and I went to Bible school or went to seminary and now I can speak. It says, no, you believed, now you speak. And sharing your faith with other people who are lost and dying. You know, when uh, trouble comes, persecution comes, weariness and selfishness, but we must be overcomers. And God has called us to serve. James 1.22 says this about serving. Be doers of the word. Not only hearers of deceiving yourself. In other words, you not only hear, you not only attend church on Sunday or Wednesday uh, for Bible study and teaching or small groups, but you don't just learn the word just for self uh, edification or just so that you can get smarter in the word, so that you can look smart, but you receive the word so that you can share the word. Amen? We need to share the word. And there's opportunities to serve. I remember many years ago, I don't know, many years ago, I lose track of time, Lori DiNardo sitting back here. She was a part of small groups from the beginning, and, and she ended up in working in the jail ministry and uh, been uh, faithful to that for a number of years. And she came and she said, I'm now teaching, this has been years back, Lori, you remember, I'm now teaching the girls a Bible study, teaching them. And you know, Pastor, she said, I wouldn't have had the confidence or the ability to do that had it not been in small groups and learned. She grew in the Word. She strengthened herself in the Lord. And understanding more of the Word, she felt confident, now I can share the Word with others. You know, God didn't just want us to, to grow in knowledge. He wants us to grow in knowledge so that we can be a blessing and be a, an ambassador speaking the very words of Christ under the anointing of the Holy Spirit to others. Uh, we are... Uh, to serve with passion. I love Isaac's passion. You know, I wish I had his youthful energy. You know, I, I'd love to have that kind of energy again. And maybe I never had it that much, but, you know, but uh, I admire people with great passion. And, and uh, we are called to serve with passion. You know, uh, Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with, how? All your might. For there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you're going. So do it now. Serve with all your might, with all your strength. We are motivated to serve by the coming as judgment seat of Christ. As Paul said, as I referred to earlier, 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all, say that with me, we must all, every one of us who are believers, not unbelievers, this is the judgment for just believers, and he says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one, say each one, may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, this is not a judgment to determine your eternity. Your eternity was determined when you received Christ as your Savior and Lord, when he filled you with his Holy Spirit, uh, when he promised you he'd prepare a home in heaven for you. But this is a judgment where you will stand and your works done while you were on earth will be 
judged before the Lord. And it goes on to say that the works are kind of like, some of our works are like hay, wood, and stubble, that when it's thrown onto the fire, it says our works will be tested by fire, we're thrown onto the fire, they burn up instantly. And so those works you won't get a reward for because they're just fluff. There's a lot of fluff in the, in the body of Christ, a lot of fluff. But he says that precious stone, metal, thrown into the fire, it will withstand the fire and your works will remain and you'll be rewarded according to that. So I don't know about you all, but I am fearful. I have a fearful responsibility. I feel that keenly. And I also fear it because I know that I'm going to stand before the Lord one day and give an account. And I want to be motivated not by fear or terror of the Lord, but to be motivated by the love of God that constrains me to share the truth in love to those around me. And we are to be prepared for every good work. You know, Titus 1, or 3, 1 says this, to obey, to be ready for every good work. And Titus 3, 8 says that those who believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. Notice not just to do works, but to maintain good works. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. Continue to work for God until the day the Lord calls you home. You see, I, I, I know Pastor Curl retired a number of years ago from full-time ministry, but he has never stopped serving in ministry. They, we are called to serve. And, and I don't intend to ever retire from ministry. Someday I may not pastor, but I intend to serve in ministry until the day I die or Jesus comes home because I have a call of God on my life to serve. And we are prepared for every good work. And so God has called us to do good works. Good works are important. We don't do good works to get saved or to have our sins forgiven, but we do good works so, because we are saved. Amen. We are consistently, const consistently to serve. Titus 3.14 says, And let our people, who's our people? the believers in the church, let our people also learn, some people need to learn, they just don't know, to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs, that they may not be unfruitful. Urgent needs. There are people in need out there who need our help. They need the Word of God. They need to be encouraged. They need to be supplied sometimes. Second point is ministry. We have a ministry of proclaiming truth. There's a lot of mistruth. There's a lot of lies in our culture today, in this world. There's a lot of deception in our culture today, a lot of deception. And, and 2 Corinthians 4.2 says this, but we have renounced the hidden things because of shame and not walking in trickery nor distorting the word of God, but by the open proclamation of the truth, commending ourselves to every person's conscience in the sight of God. You know, we are committed to the open proclamation of truth. When I came here 20 years ago and when I met with the board uh, uh, you know, uh, 21 years ago this, this April when they flew us in and interviewed us, you know, uh, my goal and my plan for any church that I pastored that it would be a, a church that will be a church that proclaims truth even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's not popular. And I believe that we need to adhere to the clear teachings of Scripture. I don't care what the world believes. I don't care what the Supreme Court rules. I don't care what Congress passes. I care about what God has said. 
Right is right, wrong is wrong. Evil is evil, and holy is holy. And God has called his people not to blend into the culture of deception and half-truths and even lies, just to be popular, just so you don't have to stand out like a sore thumb. God has called you to stand and stand firm for the kingdom of God, for the principles and teachings of the word of God. And God has called us to be men and women of the word, men and women who live the word and who proclaim the word and the truth in love. We need to stand out. We need to stand up. We need to speak out uh, to, uh, for uh, truth in our generation because truth has, been, has, been, has, has died in the streets. 2 Timothy 4.3 says this, for a time is coming. This is where we live today. It's the time that Paul in verse 1 says, we live in perilous times in the last days. And this is one of the marks of the last days. The time is coming, and we're living in it today, when people will no longer listen to sound or wholesome teaching, sound doctrine. We live in this terrible generation where uh, for the last 40, 50 years, even mainline denominations who once were great, I like liken them to great battleships in this war against the enemy, have turned their colors, turned the surrender flag, and have changed their doctrine away from the inerrancy of truth and have proclaimed a gospel, a good news that itching ears want to hear. And that's exactly what this says. These people who will no longer adhere to wholesome teaching or sound doctrine, they will follow their own desires and will look for teachers. They'll look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. Oh, you want to live a gay lifestyle or a perverted lifestyle? You want to live in adultery, fornication, having sex outside of marriage? Oh, that's okay. Just come to church. We still, we still want you. Now, I can tell you this, that everybody's welcome to church. I hope they come because they'll hear truth preached in love. But we cannot compromise the clear teachings of Scripture we cannot compromise the truth just because we want to be popular with the world or just because we don't want to offend someone. Or even, can I just say this, with all the love that I have, the love of Christ is that even if your own children or grandchildren have turned to a lifestyle that is so contrary to the moral teachings of Scripture, you must never, ever give in to that. Love them. Never stop loving them. Never stop speaking to them or engaging them, but always uphold the truth and speak it in love and compassion. My mother, I wasn't, you know, uh, morally so shot, but I was living in sin. And my mother became a Christian while I was living in sin. I was saved at 14, but I backslid. And my mother got saved, and she was so terrified that I was going to be killed. And, you know, she knew I was out partying and drinking. She was afraid I was going to die. And she said, I'm so afraid you're going to go to hell. And you know, that irritated me. I didn't like her talking to me. I said, stop talking to me like that. You know, quit telling me. But you know what? She was, she was an ambassador for Christ. She was speaking the very words of Christ to me. And she was speaking out of love because she cared about me. She wanted me to go to heaven when I die. And so she was speaking truth, but that irritated me. Can I tell you, many times we speak truth, it irritates people. It makes them angry. You're judging me, they'll say. No, I'm not. 
you're already judged according to the Word of God because you're outside of the grace of God. I'm not judging you. I'm just telling you that you don't want to be there where you're at. It's a dark place. I was in a dark place. I've known many people who are in dark places. Dave Ewer, his testimony, if you remember, it was in a dark, dark place. He was so far from God. He was on a slippery slope to eternity in hell. And yet somebody spoke the truth to him in love. He cursed them, as he told you, to their face. And yet they didn't quit. They were ambassadors for Christ on a mission to lead him to Christ, even if he cursed him. Somebody says, I don't witness because I'm afraid I'll get yelled at. I remember a presenter for um, Equippers Ministry International, Gary uh, Beasley, a young man, and he went on university campuses throughout California, and he was a missionary to the lost. And he would just go right up to him and talk to him about Jesus. And he said, you know, growing up, he says, my greatest fear, my greatest fear was that somebody was going to punch me in the face. He said, I was terrified somebody would punch me. So I always was real careful not to make anybody mad. And he said, ah, and it's about God, his love constrained me that they're lost and they're dying. Tell them about me. And so he went everywhere. He'd see groups of people and, and on the campuses, and he would tell them about Jesus. You know that? And he said, you know what, how I got over my fear? He said, I realized and I admitted that one day somebody, some guy, is going to double up his fist and he's going to punch me right in the face. And he may punch me a few times. And he said, that may happen, it probably will. He, I decided it was going to happen, but my fear of that was not going to stop me from sharing the message of Christ. He says, so far when he presented this back in the late 70s or 80, early 80s, I don't remember when it was when I heard him, it's not happened yet, but someday it will. Someday it may happen to you, it probably will if you're faithful in telling people about Jesus. And so we need to get over our fear, get over ourselves. Uh, we need to, in this generation of apostasy, we need to speak the truth in love. God said that the people of Nineveh, when he told Jonah, he said he showed mercy to them when they repented in sackcloth and ashes. Jonah, the prophet of God, was angry because God showed mercy. He wanted to see him wiped off the planet. And God said, shouldn't I have compassion on that 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left? You know, that's how it translates from the Hebrew. And I, I just think that's fascinating. It's always struck me. They don't know their right hand from their left. We live in a generation, post-Christian generation in this country, where people, young and old, don't know their right hand from their left. They don't know right from wrong. Right and wrong are relevant to whatever their situation is in, whatever they think. Word of God says that of one of the saddest things, saddest things, uh, like our culture, who's devoid of truth uh, and have any semblance of right or wrong, uh, was spoken of in the Judges' generation, the book of the, in the Bible. 21 verse 25 said, In those days Israel had no king, and all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. You know, when people don't have a king, and they don't have Christ 
who saves them and rules over their life with great love and great care. They don't know what right or wrong is, so they do what's right in their own eyes. And the problem with that philosophy is, is that we are all susceptible to deception. Unless we have a clear understanding and a foundation of what truth is, what right and wrong is, we are open to deception. The enemy wants us to wander around, to experiment with sin, uh, lulling us into a fog of self-centeredness and pleasure. That's what he has done to this generation. Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. That's where we're living. Third point, I'll close with this. Worship team's coming back at this time. We have a ministry that exposes the enemy exposes the lies and deception of the enemy, that we, uh, that we understand his strategies, Paul said, and therefore we can understand his strategies. We know what he's after, what he's going to do. And listen, I have prayed from day one at this church. I said, God, you're doing a, a wonderful work here. I anticipate with great pleasure that you have a plan for this church. God, don't let me mess it up. And God, I pray that whenever the enemy is laying out a strategy or a snare or a trap for me or this church to fall into, Lord, would you please, by revelation, by word of knowledge, would you expose it to me so that we can avoid it? And I know that God has done that over and over again, that he's been faithful to do that. You can pray the same thing for you and for your family, for your children and your children's children. God will help you. He will give you insight. He will give you the discerning of spirits. He will give you the words of knowledge and words of wisdom. You have authority in Christ to speak on behalf of Christ for this generation. The enemy, what does he do? He blinds our minds through deception and distraction. First uh, Timothy 4.1, Paul says, But the Holy Spirit, Spirit, the Holy Spirit, explicitly says, you know the Holy Spirit speaks, right? He spoke this morning through tongues and interpretation, a message that he wanted this body to hear. But the Spirit explicitly says, in the latter times or the last days, some people will fall away from the faith. They will backslide. How do they do that? Paul says, they're paying attention to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Listen, if you are tempted to believe something or live in such a way that is contrary to the clear teachings of the Word of God, you walk into that, you are being deceived, but you're also walking into sin deliberately. The worldly philosophies and intellectualism as well. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says this, in whose case the God of this world, you know who the God of this world is? It is Satan. It is Lucifer. It is the devil. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that... This is why, that they will not see the light of the gospel of glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He does not want them to discover who God is. The God of this world, the devil, may try to use the world around us, even in the church, to do battle with us. But regardless of what weapons Satan uses or how he attempts to combat us, 1 John 5, 4 says, whoever has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that we, has overcome the world, our faith. We are our faith. Our faith is strong. I was asking one of the men in our church this morning, how is that young man you've been mentoring, how is his? And he said, faith? And I said, yes, faith. And it's his faith has grown. His faith is growing as he's been mentored. You know, this means that we have a faith that overrides and supersedes 
any organization, any event, any circumstances, or any difficult dilemma that Satan would try to employ against us. He may be the God of this world, but we have a weapon so powerful that we can shoot him down every time he shows up uninvited. And he loves to show up uninvited and put his big, fat, smelly foot in the door trying to get a foothold into your life and into your home and into churches. But... John chapter 1-5 says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. We are light bearers of Christ. Proclaiming Christ shines a light in the darkness. When we speak and we speak as ambassadors of Christ, when we speak, we speak the very words that Christ would speak to this generation. 2 Corinthians 4 Five and six says this, for we do not preach ourselves. Some people like to preach a popular message, a positive message, a motivational message, and you hear it from many pulpits. But Paul says, we don't preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants on account of Jesus. For God who said light shall shine out of darkness. And the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Let me conclude with this, 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we now have this light shining in our hearts. We have this light shining in our hearts. We ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. What's he say? We're like these clay jars. You know what? I've learned and discovered every every is, you know, sin causes damage. We are vessels. This body is a vessel, and and sin, and the pain of sin, has broken me many times, and and, and cracked me. I'm a cracked pot. You're a cracked pot. You know what the good news is? Is God holds us together. He doesn't throw us into the rubbish heap because we're cracked. What's he do? He puts a light inside of us. And you know what that does? That's that Romans 8.28. You know where, where he brings something good out of bad? is because when he puts the light inside crack pots, all the cracks illuminate and shine forth and emit the light of Christ. And so, yes, I've been broken. I've been hurt. I've been damaged. But Christ loved me so much, he didn't throw me away, but he saved me. And he put a light inside of me so that all of the pain that the enemy inflicted on me is turned back on his heels because God shines his light through the cracks. That's us. We have a message. We have a ministry. We have the hope of the world in the message that we have. It's the only hope the world has. And time is running out. So let's get busy telling people about Jesus. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, thank you, Lord, that you have redeemed us with a strong and a mighty hand. Lord, with the blood of your own son, the blood of his cross, thank you for loving us, God. Thank you for healing us and restoring us, Lord. Thank you for adopting us into your family. But God, thank you for the call of God into ministry. I thank you that every person who loves you, who knows you and loves you, is called into this ministry, a ministry of reconciliation, a ministry of discipleship, a ministry, Lord, of offering hope to the hopeless. 
and light in the darkness to those who are struggling. God, use us. Use us, God. Use us to make a difference in other people's lives, in children's lives, in youth and students' lives, Lord, in adults and senior adults, Lord, men and women, boys and girls of every color and creed. God, this message of hope and truth and reconciliation is for every person. God, help us, Lord, to receive it, Lord, with gratitude and joy. And let us be preachers and teachers and encouragers of the truth. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.